Hello. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Happy 4K Friday. We are all together again, and this time Kirsten's actually here. We're all sitting and, and looking at her. <laughs> oh, it makes it so much nicer and easier to all be together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, today we are going to be discussing um, conflict and how that's not always a bad thing, even though it feels like a bad thing and we want to be able to keep peace, but maybe that's not always a good thing. (laughs) Very, very, um, layered subject today. But first, icebreakers. (laughs) I'm nervous. Me too. (laughs) I'm curious to know. Sisters. Yes. (laughs) What if, like, if you were a Barbie... Ooh. What would my career be? Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh! Career. Okay, I have to think. What Barbie careers are there? Astronaut. Anything you want. Barbie does everything. Oh, that's right. Kirsten would be counselor Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> what would your outfit be? Like, what color heels does counselor Barbie oh wear? Gosh. Oh, that's a great question. I know. <laughs> oh, I have to think about this. My gut reaction was veterinarian Barbie. Oh. Does she come with a dog? Would Daisy be like a little toy yes. Daisy? With the Daisy's little doggy carrier. And, <gasps> and her outfit's blue. I love it. And red. Patriotic. Like a red cross. Wait, Daisy's or Barbie? Or mine. Oh. Or mine. Veterinarian Barbie. Okay. Veterinarian Barbie. And, but like, it's also like booty shorts because veterinarian Barbie's <laughs> hey. a little bit of a smutula. And... <laughs> And, like, she has, like, one of those nurse hats. And then, like, white heels. I just got this, like, vision of Alexis Rose. Yeah. Basically. Which she she was. When she cut off her uh, scrubs. Yeah. Love it. Pretty much. I love that. And because of all the animals and also because of, of, um, it's the animals, 100%. That's the only reason I want to be What color is her hair? Blonde. blonde. I'm blonde-ish. Okay. Katie's so excited to share. Okay, mine is sushi eating Barbie, <laughs> <laughs> and it comes with a cute little conveyor belt that you use like a crank to move the conveyor oh. belt. And there's all the sushi, and then there's all the booths, and she gets to sit at the sushi booth. Does it come with like a sushi making kit? Barbie yes. sushi kit. Yes, but not raw fish. No, like like play doh. Yeah, you know? no. yeah. I, I want to eat it. I love okay. that. What's Thank you. I think I would be wine press Barbie. Ooh. <laughs> but like the cute kind that like with her feet, like she would have cute. like a vat full of grapes. <laughs> She dressed up like when Lucy was squishing grapes. She is braiding. Well, Lucy, I was thinking more like a walk in the clouds. Sure, sure. You know, like squash those grapes. That whole scene. Mm -hmm. It'd be kind of like that. And so she would have like the cute skirts that she could like tie up on the side. Mm. Obviously, she would have a glass in each hand. Double fisting. Prioritizing. Oh my gosh. so cute. Kirsten. Oh my word. My favorite toy part with the toy part. <laughs> no, we're Why keeping it. Sounds so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are keeping that in. Kirsten's favorite toy part is. <laughs> I had this plastic pool for my Barbie. Ooh. So she, my Barbie would just be the lazy river Barbie. <laughs> Not even just oh, side Barbie, lazy <laughs> river Barbie. Not even like pool party Barbie, lazy river. <laughs> 
That is that the most so Kirsten answer I've ever heard. The only the only other answer I could think of that'd be more Kirsten would be like loaf of bread Barbie. Oh my god, like Nyquil Barbie. So oh my gosh, great. let's assign Barbies to each other. Kirsten would be bread and butter Barbie. Mm. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Kelsey would be like nail salon Barbie. Katie would be burrito yes. Barbie. Why is all my food? <laughs> Why do you think? <laughs> or or baby making Barbie. <laughs> Carly would be Comet fan Barbie. <laughs> Comet fan. March Madness Barbie. March Madness Barbie. <laughs> uh, by the way, go Gonzaga. Did, they did well yesterday. I heard. They won by like fifty I points. I love and that nun. <laughs> Also, the nun lady. Mm-hmm. Sister something. Jean? <sighs> sure. I couldn't tell you a single Gonzaga. You're a good wife. <laughs> <laughs> but I love them. Okay, friends. Today, uh, we are going to be talking about um, what it is to be a peacemaker instead of a peacekeeper and how to approach conflict in the world. We have been thinking a lot lately about um, the news of Beth Moore leaving the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, And if you don't know that news, uh, we will get into that. But that has just kind of triggered a lot of different conversations about um, church health and relationships, what it's like to be in relationship within your church. And you know, even what it's like then to be in relationship with the world as church members. And it's such a conflicted and tense and heated time um, with decisions that are having to be made because of the pandemic, decisions that are being made politically, and how invested in those things uh, churches have become, that it just feels like no one is, um, not that no one, everyone is wondering how on earth to conduct themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even if they're not wondering aloud how to conduct themselves, it feels like the proper way to conduct oneself as a believer within conflict is a question we need to be exploring Mm -hmm. right now. And so we're going to talk about that. And so, Carly, why don't you just kind of walk us through the Beth Moore Yeah, so um, if you're unfamiliar with Beth Moore, she is a prominent Christian leader, um, writes tons and tons and tons of women's Bible studies. um, That are like actually on the Bible. That are actually (laughs) on the Bible and really good. Like she's, she's just a Southern belle, spitfire, blonde hair, jacked up to Jesus. Sassy pants. Just bless her. (laughs) Bless her. And so she is um, frequently scrutinized and under fire just because being part of the Southern Baptist Convention, they are very conservative as far as gender roles and leadership go. Yeah, women Um, are not supposed to be preachers. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, Beth Moore was never one to, like, put her authority over any men. Um, She was pretty much exclusively a speaker for women's events or whatnot. She so, went to where she was asked to go. She never really... Yeah, yeah. She didn't rock the boat in that regard. Like, she was still very conservative. Like, the fact that, like, no, most feminists would not consider her feminist because she was very conservative in those sorts of issues. 
She was respectful of her denomination's views on women teaching. Yes. However, when it came to issues of abuse, sexual misconduct, race issues, um, she was very outspoken. Holy sword swinger on those things. And that really bothered a lot of conservatives. And so here's <laughs> poor Beth Moore just like being attacked on both sides where she's not liberal enough for the liberals and not conservative enough for the conservatives. Um, that kind of sounds like Jesus. A little bit. Um, anyway, she for years has been under pressure because she is always calling out Southern Baptist leadership and other Christian leaders for the ways they treat women, the ways they treat minorities. She was very vocal against Donald Trump and just, uh, yeah, little Mighty Mouse. (laughs) And so now she has announced her departure from the Southern Baptist Convention um, and therefore also from Lifeway Publishing, um, which was owned by the SBC. And... They, they, she left on good terms with Lifeway specifically that they're still going to sell her stuff, um, but but they will not be her primary publisher anymore, nor will she be part of their events, all that jazz. Um, she's transitioning away from that association. Mm-hmm. Um, she still considers herself a Baptist, but but she and her husband are church shopping for a bit Mm -hmm. because... And have said they're kind of open to anything. Really, really open. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just fascinating to me because she was someone who fought hard in the trenches, staying in the place that was causing a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. She was determined not to leave and just be done with it she was like no i'm gonna stay i'm gonna fight i change i'm gonna make changes from within and do my part to glorify god by making change within the system here and so to all of a sudden not continue that like that's huge yeah Mm -hmm. um because she really wasn't um even though i mean many if if you say Beth Moore's name in a conversation, people have very mixed reactions. <laughs> um, I've never been around anybody who just blatantly rolled their eyes. I know those people exist. She gets a lot of hate. But you will hear, especially from men, like, oh, Beth Moore. Like, oh, LOL, isn't she cute? Isn't she, you know? <laughs> but she really, like, her her rocking the boat was never her seeking to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, from, from what I could see in things, it was like the things about her that bugged people were just things that she showed up and just did. Mm-hmm. She never called out male leadership within the SBC for not being fair to her as a woman and this, 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 mm-hmm. this. Like the stuff she was calling out was blatantly unscriptural. Yeah. She was going to call out sexual misconduct mm-hmm. among leaders. Mm-hmm. She was going to call out stuff that Jesus was, wasn't going to stand for either. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes she gets painted as this, like, you know, anti-man woman. Mm-hmm. And that's not true at all. Yeah. She was really respectful of how, how the SBC uh, um, places men as preachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, for, for her to have spent this long... Within it, and finally get to a point where she's saying, "I, I can't, 
anymore. And not even I can't, but this is not who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Raises a lot of questions for me in terms of how we wear our denominational doctrine as our identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's not just, I can't align myself with this, like this is not who I am. Um, it raises mm-hmm. questions for me about when it's okay and not okay to leave a church. Cause we've been mm-hmm. taught different things about that growing up. It mm-hmm. raises questions for me about, um, how to handle, co- like she left with Lifeway. They parted ways very amicably mm-hmm. on how to handle tension when you are feeling stirred to leave something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it raises questions for me in how to hold integrity to say, like, even if there's someone who's political lines I do walk more along being able to say but they're despicable and I'm not going to pretend like that matters less than my political view yeah um that if Jesus isn't going to stand for how they act as a person why would I vote for them mm-hmm. that's I think for me the most courageous thing she did mm-hmm. <laughs> um anyway so it just I I there's so much tension. And she's not the only one. It was just she was the one that has sparked this conversation just recently. But it's happening all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. they're calling even there's a, a second exodus happening of of um, black people in southern churches yeah. mm-hmm. m- moving out because of, of racial misconduct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's just there's or even just the millennial generation in general feeling like they just don't relate to the Christianity they were raised in and is that them being flaky Mm -hmm. or is it, do they see something? Do we need to address things? Like it just feels like there's so much question and conflict in the church right now. And so how do we walk into those questions courageously? How do we walk into those questions with the intention of not just keeping things peaceful for the sake of not rocking the boat, but Mm -hmm. making things peaceful for the sake of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that you named, Kelsey, a lot of just of the big conflicts. I mean, the Beth yeah. Moore situation, that names enormous conflicts. Even just little conflicts. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not between you and an entire congregation. Or maybe they're not yeah. between church versus, you know, all of these big names. But I even think of myself just attending Bible study. Mm-hmm. Now that we're actually able to do in-person Bible study. And there will be individuals that I think polar oppositely then Mm -hmm. and I do not doubt that that person seeks Jesus just as I do and we both seek the spirit but we come to such drastic drastically different conclusions and I have sometimes left either thinking one they must not actually be speaking seeking the spirit or two I think like could I be wrong Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, but there, but there has to be, there has to be this middle ground because if we're both seeking the spirit, which I trust that they are and that you are, and we're coming to different conclusions, then what does that say? What does that actually say mm-hmm. about? Well, I think it says that those are not actually the biggest issues to God mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. treat them like yeah. they are. Um, I'm trying to think of like a quick example. I mean, it's like, let's do, let's, let's use capital punishment as an example. Mm -hmm. People who are for death penalty Mm -hmm. have scriptural basis for that. Mm -hmm. So do people who are against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, does the Bible counteract itself? Only if you read it on the surface. Mm -hmm. If you really dig further into the heart of God, into the heart, you know, then it probably becomes harder to disagree. Or maybe it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are some issues that God's like, there is room for difference here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot more places like that than we, you know, either that or there is a right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. But Jesus at the end of the day says, nothing can separate you from my love Mm -hmm. and grace bats Mm -hmm. last. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's room for disagreement in the sense that when it's all said and done, we will all be wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) about something. And that is what grace is for. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to these, these things where it's like, you can both be seeking the spirit and still think so differently on different issues, whether they're political or even spiritual, Mm -hmm. um, the heart of the matter, if they can really be disagreed upon, they're not those conclusions. Mm -hmm. The heart of the matter is underneath those things. And instead of treating our, our conclusion on different answers or our answers on different problems as God's final say, if someone who really speaks this or uh, seeks the spirit is saying a different thing than you, you haven't gotten to the root of that issue. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I think a lot about the book of Acts, um, and how you see examples of the early church and their conflicts. Um, we see specifically Paul and Barnabas, who I love the name Barnabas. Barnabas, <laughs> they were um, ministry partners, missions partners, and ended up separating at a certain point. I don't remember the exact issue that would have come up. Um, oh, it had to do with bringing another partner on. Paul didn't want, but Barnabas did, and. Which, so true to Barnabas, people didn't want Paul, but Barnabas did. Um, his, his gracious attitude, um, unsung hero. But uh, it ended up that they split ways. But instead of it being this, oh, well, they're in the wrong and not going to heaven and they're a heathen and you know God won't bless their ministry because they're doing it wrong, they parted as friends and celebrating that God's going to use you where you go and God's going to use me where I go. That even with this conflict, it was just like, okay, go ahead. I I want the gospel spread. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much love and trust that requires? Yes. Oh my gosh. Like, do you know how much love that requires to not want their ministry to fail because they think differently than you. No, I'm being serious. No, I, so I am being I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, that is Christ's love right there. Mm-hmm. The freedom to be able to trust that. Well, right. And that's like, so with, you know, I don't think that there's a whole lot of happy feelings between, you know, like Beth Moore and the male leaders of the SBC right mm-hmm. now. But in terms of her, you know, parting ways with Lifeway, very amicable, very, um, easy Mm -hmm. and loving and wishing well of each other Mm -hmm. believing that the work each is doing is still important and still holy 
And uh, you don't, you do not see that. Uh-huh. You don't. No. People leave church because they're pissed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what? Because they don't yeah. want to deal with, they don't want to deal with a conflict or. Um, and the mm-hmm. fact that that separation between Beth Moore and Lifeway, the fact that it's authentic. Mm-hmm. They're telling the truth. Because you can separate from someone nicely. Oh, I, I wish this upon you. I pray this upon you. Like, I hope mm-hmm. you succeed. But, but not to be it. able to mean it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Huge. Yes. Huge. Yeah. I was having a discussion with a friend recently. Um, well, with uh, Greg Coles. Hashtag Greg Coles, who was on the podcast. I was having a conversation with him recently about about when is the right time to leave a church or is there a right time to leave a church? Um, how is, you know, how important is it to really plant and invest in one local church versus go around to different ones? Is it, it does it depend on how you're wired? Some people are wired for four wall ministry. Some people are wired for evangelism. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't make the evangelist plant Mm-hmm. That goes against their wiring. You also don't force the the four wall pastor to move around all the time. That goes against their wiring. Like, but but where is the line? Does it change? And he he said, you know, for him he he's never left a church for any other reason than God moved him somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like literally, <laughs> right? right. Okay. Yeah, literally. Okay. Like what? Like moving <laughs> countries, moving colleges. You transfer. Like for me, my whole life. I grew up in a church, and then when I graduated high school, uh, went to a different one to feel like an adult, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I did kind of get a little chewed by someone for leaving a healthy church. Hmm. And it's been with that question that I, like, that was the mindset that I approached him with, because what, what are we naming as calling? Like that, that hmm. what, what is it that we're saying God moves you for? Is it just cause you've moved locations or is it, you know, like, like with Beth Moore, something stirred in her spirit to say like, this is not, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't move locations. Yeah. She wasn't necessarily called to a different ministry. Mm-hmm. It was an internal calling within herself. Right. And so her. can God move you even if it's not? to a whole new place. Can he move someone to say, I feel differently now? Um, and if so, um, I mean, I guess that just in thinking about Paul and Barnabas, it's not that they were like, we've been called to different countries. Mm-hmm. And so we can't do this together mm-hmm. anymore. It's, we disagree on something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. But I don't think we look at it so much that way. When we use the word calling. When we use the word calling or even when we think of like separating, it's usually, there's, it usually turns into way more conflict because we don't, I don't think we have that mindset of disagreement can be healthily divided. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's, there's just so much tension with the, with, with so much tension with conflict. So much tension (laughs) with the word conflict and with the word disagreement yeah because as christians we're called to be peacemakers and and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we don't know what to do with it yeah but peacemaking versus peacekeeping Mm -hmm. 
They're completely different things. Yeah. A peacemaker runs into the conflict because they're a mediator, and that's their role is to make things right. Mm -hmm. A peacekeeper is the one that runs because, like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to mess with this. But I think think that not everyone within the church has a differentiation between those two words. Exactly. When Mm -hmm. when When I was raised to hear the word peacemaker, I was raised to be somebody who was... Not going to disrupt anything. Not going to disrupt anything for the sake of peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and that's I th- no peace because I think, you're at turmoil within yourself. Yeah, and I think that oh, I, I think that as a whole, I would say that the church isn't peaceful when it comes to people outside of the church thinking differently than them. But when mm-hmm. we look inside of the four walls, we're supposed to be peacemakers among each other. And when you use the wrong definition of peacemaker and you're using the definition of peacekeeper, we all are just smiling and very passive when it comes to conflict yeah. within the walls of the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's always the right answer. I think I it's think never the peace- right answer. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that it's never the right answer, but I think that that makes us nervous because we're just used to it. Yeah. I don't think that we are currently a culture of peacemakers. Mm-mm. I think that we're just a culture of peacekeepers. You mm-hmm. just don't rock the boat, and that and so it it ends up becoming two extremes. You're either a peacekeeper, a peacekeeper, or you are a disruptor. Mm-hmm. Whereas peacemaking kind of it does marry the two. Yeah, but we. It's almost like we can't even picture that because we're just so used to peacekeeping. Mm-hmm. But it's in that place of peacekeeping that the second anything comes up against us, we either recoil or we just react in some sort of fearful anger. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing are these mm-hmm. intense responses to things because we don't want our boats rocked. Mm-hmm. We, j- we will gladly rock other people so long as ours can stay the way we like it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirsten, when it comes to your counseling practices, how would you say, you know, because because we have recently talked about this this idea that um, bad psychology is bad theology. How? Like, do you notice ways in which your counseling practice lends itself to how we ought to conduct ourselves in conversing with people, whether through conflict within church members or mm-hmm. conflict between believers and non-believers? I guess basically with, I guess, t- counseling techniques is to recognize that conflict is normal and that conflict can be healthy. And I think as Christians, we have kind of had this view that conflict is sin oh. and that conflict needs to be avoided. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is why you get these surfacey relationships at church because you're seeking to keep the peace. So you, you don't dive deep into relationships and that's why people don't find that community. Um, but to recognize that conflict um, is character building and now I'm just rambling, but no, <laughs> this is all okay. I kind of veered from when I was talking about counseling techniques, but, um, I guess in, with the idea that conflict, it's going to happen and normalizing that in our lives, it should cause us to have empathy for others when we 
listen to them and um, when we help them just talk it out because sometimes people just need to process mm. um, and talk about conflict. And I don't even know if that makes any sense. But no, <laughs> yeah, that's so good. So then what would you say, not just conflict in general, but conflict between two church members? Mm-hmm. What, what techniques can two church members use within their conflict to actually listen to one another rather mm-hmm. than, one, be passive and not approach it, or two, mm-hmm. attack each other? Yeah. I think having an understanding that you're different people and being open to hearing about this person and maybe how they took something you said and how it hurt them to understand that people can be hurt, you know, mm-hmm. and to, to just kind of, as Christians, we need to have a lens of understanding. And I know that makes people uncomfortable. Um, Why would you say it makes them uncomfortable? Because it might be different, you know, than mm-hmm. what you think. Mm-hmm. And, and we've just been taught to have black and white brains and like be in the right and just have, yeah. sh- you know, sharpen your sword. We've and been stuff taught like that, that yeah. if something, especially as Christians, that if someone disagrees with us and we, if we attribute our answer to our faith and someone tells us we're wrong or that they think differently, we just automatically are like, well, you're wrong. Yeah. You're just wrong because my faith says. Instead of understanding that, like, if they've experienced something, it gets to be true. Yeah. Their experience Mm -hmm. is a true experience, even if your faith doesn't want you to think about it. And that kind of response to someone who's hurting, like the response of, no, this is right, this is what the Bible says, can be very damaging to somebody who doesn't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we have to be careful by how we communicate the gospel and communicate our faith because we could be traumatizing somebody and i i think of i I, i'm so bad when it comes to knowing exact verses and where they are and that's actually something i want to be better at Mm -hmm. but i think of the verse that says something along the lines of and carly tell me if i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) pastor tell me if i'm wrong um when it says meet those of the law with the law and meet those who are weak as weak. Yeah, that's so Do good. you know what I'm talking about yeah, when I yeah. say that? Meet them on their and level. And it's, it's meeting them on their level exactly where they're at without... I don't even know how to say it. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a difference between um, coming to them as their teacher. Yes. As yeah. if you have some greater authority and wisdom yeah. to offer and coming at them at their level. Like that, mm-hmm. that is one hundred percent the way of Jesus. Yeah. Yes. That yeah. that we did not need to try and become God. Jesus became man, and that that's the model we're supposed to do. That that we do not think ourselves so high and above anyone, but that we meet them where they're right. at. And that's so in line with um, counseling techniques, actually, because we are trained to match the person we're talking to. Like if someone maybe is talking really slow and sad to kind of almost change your tone like that instead of trying to be sound positive and upbeat to try to get them their spirits up, but to meet them how they're Mm -hmm. communicating, Mm because that's actually very soothing and relatable to them. Yeah. And part so. of that's a mirroring, mirroring. because that helps them, um, helps, 
them see themselves in it. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. and kind of like put, like with my counselor, he would mirror and ask questions, not just so he could understand more, but so I could understand more. Yes. That I see my thought process on mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to take on more of that, not just mm-hmm. with other Christians, mm-hmm. but with non-believers. Yes. Take on what? Repeat that. I think that this idea that we aren't coming in to tell them the answers. Yeah. We are coming in to tell them about themselves. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And oh, because we know we are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go in and tell people your way of thinking about things. For them to understand Jesus. You just have to go in and just just talk to them about life and ask them big questions mm-hmm. because, because we get there. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. really do. Mm-hmm. And I think we get there in a healthier way. Like with counseling, your job is not to tell people the answer. No, you're right. not an advice giver. You're a listener and you aid and you prompt. Your job is to walk alongside them while they get there. And I know that that sounds like anti- missions Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) you know because people literally move to other countries to spread the gospel but whoever said that spreading the gospel was going in and saying like okay everyone sit down i'm going to tell you why you're all sinners and why jesus died for you Mm -hmm. where does it say that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't actually give us a prompt and exactly how that's supposed to look you know while jesus was alive he sent people out ahead of him to be like okay the kingdom of god is at hand folks Mm -hmm. buckle up Mm -hmm. Okay, I dare you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I dare you to go into a place and do that. Like, it doesn't work. It mm-hmm. may have worked then. Mm-hmm. That may have been how culture was, just mm-hmm. way more blunt like and that. It may and work it, every once in a while. Yeah. Know your audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know your audience. But you have to start with knowing Yes. Them. But that's <laughs> that thing of going into where they are, into yeah. their life. If they are someone who can handle that, by all means, mm-hmm. throw yeah. the Bible at them. Mm-hmm. If they're not... Mm-hmm. You're going to turn them away from it. You will so fast. Mm-hmm. And that's so. and that's where Acts is continues being a huge example in that that Paul goes to the non-Jews and he's not talking to them like a Jew. He is like, "Oh, I see you worship this god. Can I tell you about the god I serve?" Yeah. You know, it's like he comes and sees their culture and what they believe. And instead of just being like, Haha, you're all wrong, I'm better. But he says, hey, I understand that you care about spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Can I share my spiritual thing with you? Right, because he comes in and the first thing he says is, I see this about you. Mm-hmm. In order to say that about somebody, it means you have to look at them. And you have to <laughs> not just attention. look, but see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to see them. And I think that going in and looking just to find a thing to say to open up a conversation about yeah. Jesus, yeah. people see right through that. Yes. People are not stupid. Yes. <laughs> so that that's, I've shared before that um, a professor of mine, we were doing like a Christian worldview and apologetics class, and he was so like, big into movies, music. One of our regular assignments was like to just listen to a song and analyze its worldview and present it to the class. And it was just so fun because it was the first Christian context I was in that wasn't telling me to get rid of secular music. Yeah. <laughs> it was having me listen to it. What, what do they think? 
How do they feel about certain things? Come and because you will not be able to reach someone if you are not so aware of their worldview, you almost believe it. I will tell you something. As a worship leader, if all I do is listen to worship music, and there are times when that's my life because I'm, you're listening for new music. But sometimes when that's all I've listened to, I can become a very judgmental person. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that is what, what, what do you think is the process behind that? Because I forget that there are people who don't have that worldview. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When those are the only words that have been entering my brain. Yeah. When I sometimes go out, I find that I'm not that empathetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find that other people's sin offends me. Mm. Yeah. But when mm-hmm. I turn on like Leonard Cohen and I hear that cold and broken hallelujah. Mm-hmm. And I listen to the, this poetry of a man who trying to figure God out mm-hmm. and was so mad about it most of the time. That not only opens me up to the times when my own hallelujahs are cold and broken, mm-hmm. but when I can look out and I can see other people who are cold and broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is how they think and these are the questions that they're asking mm-hmm. and then I'm able to be like, okay, yeah, I see you and I'm not scared of you. Yeah. I'm not offended by you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am intrigued by you and I want to know more because there's something they have to teach us too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, you said the phrase, Kelsey, um, that when you are listening solely to Christian music that you'll go out and people's sin might offend you. So the phrase of sin offending you. What would you, what would you say to the person who would say, well, people's sin should offend you. Well, this, oh, this, is, this could be a whole different episode on its own. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're too quick to be offended by sin. And I think that we, mm-hmm. um, we take it on to ourselves as something that's a good thing to do because God hates sin. Yeah, yeah. But we are not as good as God is uh, at separating people from their sin. Mm-hmm. We're not because the the reason we dislike people is because they've somehow sinned against us. They've done something that we don't like, or they've sinned against someone we love, or whatever. Mm-hmm. They've done something we don't like, so we don't like them. We don't like them not based on who they are, but on an action they've done. We don't separate people from their sin. And I think that when we are so quick to get offended by other people's sin, we are fully ignoring our own. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a speck in a log or a speck in a plank. Yeah. But (laughs) but really, I think, so in those moments when, and I'm not trying to say like, worship music will make you a sinner. (laughs) Not at all. What I'm saying is that when I've only immersed myself in one worldview, I forget that a whole lot of people exist Mm -hmm. and I somehow elevate myself above them. Yeah. Okay. And how are you going to, like, if in our worldview we're supposed to go out and reach people, well, they all have different worldviews. We can't possibly go out and reach them and relate to them if we're just stuck in our own way of thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it also makes us hesitant to let those parts of their worldview remain within their Christianity. Mm-hmm. One of the best lessons I ever got about being a Christian, I mean, in my whole life, one of the best things I ever learned about what it is, about the person of Jesus and how wide open his arms are, was when I was working for the African Children's Choir, and I was uh, talking with a, a man who um, 
who had just come back. He had been working for them, but in Africa for many years. And he and his family had just recently moved back. And uh, when they moved, while they were living in Africa, they had uh, adopted uh, several children. And he was telling me that one of his daughters, she absolutely sold out believer, believes in Jesus, knows he died for her, is in love with him, and also believes, sold out, her mom is a tiger. <laughs> because in the tribe she was raised in, the deceased reincarnate as animals. Mm-hmm. And that th- this, this man, her father, her adopted dad, that it didn't even shake him at all. Mm-hmm. That it was fine. He goes, you're not going to convince her otherwise. And it, he wasn't sitting there thinking, but someday she'll know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> someday she'll get there to realize that that's silly he had no hope of the sort mm-hmm. she loves Jesus that's all that matters to him mm-hmm. the other stuff sorts mm-hmm. itself out and by that I don't mean they. we all eventually sort ourselves out to believe the same things it sorts itself out by like to because it doesn't matter mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. well and I think taking that then on myself of I mean, I, I think it's in my nature to let the tiger girl think that her mom is a tiger. Mm-hmm. I love the exotic. I love the outside perspective. But for me, the perspectives that I would disagree with are often the perspectives of those within the church building. Yeah. So then how do I take that upon myself of looking at those people right. and then saying, it's okay that they think this little thing. And I don't know if I can always do that. Well, but- I think that what we need to get better at doing is recognizing what are the things that really don't actually matter long run, Mm -hmm. long term. And what are the things that actually do lead us into some bad theology toward Jesus? Yes. This girl thinking that her mom reincarnated doesn't Doesn't, really change what Jesus came to tell anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a good point to make. But, you know, there have been, I've heard people give illustrations, say, you know, when it comes to reaching the lost, you, you know, you can't reach so far because Jesus is in the center and you're, you're holding his hand and you can only reach as far as you can lean away from him. Well, that's not in scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not even a little. Yeah. What scripture says is he's actually gone ahead of you so you can go anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's that. Yeah. It's those things. And that where requires it's like, more faith. If you truly believe he's out there and you're going to mm-hmm. walk out there into the yeah. unknown, that's... Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, so much faith. It's those pictures that we've somehow come up with that sound very Christian. Because mm-hmm. we're holding on to Jesus. But we have him placed in the entirely wrong place. It's those mm-hmm. things where it's like, this becomes actually a very... This, this, this belief makes us a very bad Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, this belief fear. keeps us from fulfilling the commission. Mm-hmm. This belief gives us a very inaccurate portrait of yeah. the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. 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 Those are the things that it's like, there's not a ton of room for disagreement on this, and we need to talk yeah. through. So what I'm hearing you say is there's going to be those little issues that don't actually, that we have with people that don't actually change Jesus. Correct. Right. But there are big issues and that do change Jesus. And those are the portrayed. things, those are the conflicts that we need to deal with and be vocal about if we truly believe that we're with the spirits leading are recognizing them. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's a huge beginning point is deciding, is this a little issue or is this a big issue? And how do we? 
And what do we yeah. do about that? <laughs> Where, how do we decide what the big issues are and the little issues? Mm-hmm. Hmm. What tells us? The Bible. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, let's end there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I oh. think that um, the attitude of humility is essential, and I don't think mm. Christians are very good at it, no. and which is a shame because that's, like, the whole message. <laughs> Right, you lay your life down. (laughs) And and so, again, I just keep going back to Acts today. Um, When there were grievances from the Greek Jews, Greek Christians, against the Jewish Christians um, in how they were doing food distribution for their widows, um, they didn't just say, oh, well, that's not real. Or, mm, sorry, this is just how it's set up. They're, they took it seriously. They're like, you're right. Okay, if this is an important issue to you, I want to appoint you to lead this program so you can oversee it and make sure it's done correctly. And, and that takes a lot of humility to relinquish control, to be like, I, I value you so much that in this area of a grievance between us, I want to empower your voice and let you make decisions about it rather than just insisting that I got it under control. Uh, That to me speaks so much of that humility and that love that we start from a posture of, I believe you. Yes. And I think, I think what's hard is that, that, um, this ability to to empower people's voices and the inability to do it being this you know um lack of humility i think though that that lack is it's really subtle yeah i think mm-hmm. that more of us think we are better at empowering people's voices mm-hmm. than we are yes. i think that we're good at believing that's a good thing mhm and I think that we're good at telling people compliments. that they, giving them compliments, but then the second they actually act on that thing we want mm-hmm. them to feel empowered in, we get a little tense and nervous. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that stuff where it's like, I'm not like, yeah, we need to work on the obvious conflicts, but, but it, we've got to be going deeper. We yeah. have to be looking at the ways in which we find ourselves reacting to things yeah. silently. Mm-hmm. We need to be looking at the ways, like Kirsten, how you were talking about when we're listening to people, when you're going to interject, mm-hmm. you're not listening for the right moment to inject the thing you want to say. You mm-hmm. have to listen and interject based on what they've just said. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening just to get your word in there, that's that's that. That's not really listening to empower them. Yeah. Um, but I don't, we're not aware of it because we, we see lack of humility as steamrolling. Right. Can you define that? Um, we, we would tend to think that, you know, if we're not acting in that humility, um, then we would be withholding compliments or we would be trying to actively hush people. But I, I don't think that's the root of mm-hmm. it. It's that. You know, you, you can compliment them all you want, but if you get nervous when they open their mouth, that That's, conflict has not been dealt with, and you don't really want them to be as empowered as you might say or even think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it also is a start. Yeah. You know, if, if 
there's still issues in your heart and you're not at peace with the thing, there's, yes, you got to make peace. You got to fix things, but Mm -hmm. it also might be within you. Right. That Mm -hmm. that has to be sorted out. It isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. an external conflict at that that point. That's why it's important to seek out and try to pay attention to not just, I think that when we self-assess, we just, well, I didn't say anything mean to anybody. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, did you think something? Mm-hmm. Did you like, feel did you something? People can yeah. even feel, feel something. Did you yeah. even people feel, feel that energy? A bit of anxiety yeah. creep up in you when someone said something how you wouldn't say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, becoming aware of those because those are things that are going to open your eyes up to the conflict. Like how much of it is the other person? Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of it might also be you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, conflict isn't just about how we interact with each other. It's also then dealing with the conflict within yourself that what somebody else might say or do creates within you. So mm-hmm. it's there's so much external, but there is so much internal mm-hmm. that I don't think we even really know, always know how to navigate. No, not that. at all. Yeah. I think when you, when you start to feel that tension in you, just kind of let yourself kind of sit in that and analyze why, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of have that inner dialogue of, I feel tense right now. You know, why is that? And then maybe you think of a situation of a conversation you had with a pastor or somebody that told you, oh, that wasn't good. And, you know, that can trigger those feelings. So kind of just like mentally analyze, like, where did that start? And why do I feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. right now? And, and is yeah. the discomfort, and the discomfort <clears throat> isn't always just at the other person because they're wrong. The they discomfort, might wrong. The discomfort might often be that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it's not even so much that anyone's wrong. It's yeah. that it can be the way they said it reminded me of this other thing that happened mm-hmm. that hurt me when someone else exactly. said exactly. There's so much. Exactly. But we have to or get Or it might be it. someone who has hurt you before and you know that they didn't intend that. Mm-hmm. But it's is just still that person's a trigger. Mm-hmm. And so they might right. do something very good, but you're just turned off by that person. Yeah. You know, and that is an internal where it's like, okay, yep. mm-hmm. I have to figure out how to love them. Yeah. And yes. part of that love is releasing them, forgiving them, f- <laughs> allowing them their freedom. And in that vein, I'm going to flip the coin. Self-assessment is necessary. These things we're talking about are necessary. Mm-hmm. However, I also know that all four of us, and you, Kirsten, you and I have had a conversation about this even just recently, how sometimes we self-assess so much mm-hmm. <laughs> that when we're in a position where we're just constantly feeling beaten down, we are only ever looking for what we've done to cause that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How do we... And I think yeah. women do that a lot. Yeah, yep. there is there is a different line of it where if that's all you do. Right. And yeah. so like we've talked about that where it's like we'll we'll be venting about something and we will be so convicted of something and and really be saying these things that it's like and I feel like God is doing this and I this is but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there is this quick turnaround of like, but you know, I don't wanna I don't want to be too proud. I don't want to speak out of turn. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, we're afraid to be right. Mm -hmm. 
And that's so hard because it's like you don't want to put everything on the other person. That's not okay in conflict is to say it's only the other person's fault. But sometimes you become so used to being, it's it's not them, I can only control myself, Mm -hmm. that you end up gaslighting yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you end up telling yourself that you're in more wrong than you are. And I think that we can get in God's way of really doing a work in us because we're too busy saying like, no, 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 I... I'm not supposed to feel free to say that. I'm not supposed to move on from this. Lord, I I feel like you're pulling me away from a certain place, but that could rock the boat. And so it must be, we don't trust ourselves. I I think that it is us imposing a humility on ourselves that maybe Jesus hasn't asked us to. But we think that he did. But because it's humility, it's right. (laughs) Right. Right. So, So then how do you know the difference? But that's how you know the difference is that you don't force it. That that you come honestly before the Lord. I wish everyone could see Katie's face right now. But if you're trying to practice it, how is that any different than forcing it? I think it's okay to, in the heat of a moment, be like, okay, I can be wrong. I can be, I can absolutely be wrong in this. I also think that when that is such a pattern, I think sometimes that is us avoiding conflict mm-hmm. yeah. by internalizing it because then we can deal with conflict in ourselves yeah. instead of dealing it's with conflict form with of another person. Also, it is. It's yeah. a form of, of if instead of even having to approach that with anyone else, <sighs> yeah. if I can just make it about me, then I only have mm-hmm. to deal with it here mm-hmm. instead of with them. Um, so it, it, isn't that interesting? Kind I, of a control freak when we do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though it sounds like I'm being humble. I also think that, um, if, if it's happening so often, this like, well, it's just me. I'm just, it, it's gotta just be me. I must, the problem must be fully within myself. If it's happening often enough though, that you are getting again, an incorrect picture of the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm who is an empowering voice, who is calling you into things, who is singing over you and Mm -hmm. telling you good things, you know, like, yeah, the Holy Spirit convicts, but that is not all that it does. And so if the voice is constantly just telling you why you are wrong, Mm -hmm. no. And if it's starting to make you think that Jesus is just down out to just remind you why you're wrong all the time. Mm -hmm. No, like if you are starting to get an incorrect picture of who Jesus is, you're practicing incorrect humility. Yeah. And that's leaning on truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that takes down your self-esteem, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just kind of eats away at who you are, which makes you less effective. There's that's so many, like, yeah. there's so many different layers to all of this. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, that, and that's why it's hard. And that's why none of us know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I guess just in terms of all this, how do we move forward feeling like a conflict is a good thing mm. that approaching it is a good thing that conflict shows you have your own mind amen and so how do we move forward believing that and how do we then move forward with the courage to stand on our own integrity when as we move through the conflict and really seek the spirit in the conflict, we feel like, no, I, I, I believe this. How, what, how do we move forward with that and take on that kind of courage for mm. conflict? 
we need to operate in grace. I, I, that's such an easy thing to say. But if we expect people to be gracious towards us in conflict, we need to offer the same to others. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why Jesus teaches so much on forgiving. Mm-hmm. Because there will be that conflict. Mm-hmm. Because no matter how many times people screw up, we forgive. And that forgiveness is about letting go expectation of that person mm-hmm. to make it right. That they owe you nothing. Mm-hmm. It is in our pride that we expect something to be fixed on our behalf. Yeah. But if we just say, that's not your job anymore, um, then we can actually pursue the healing and the making things right. Mm-hmm. Um, there comes a point of separation that has to happen sometimes. And we need to move away from the thought that that is always wrong. Yeah. Sometimes it has to happen and sometimes both parties are right in their own way. Yeah. And so we just need to be faithful to what God is calling us and trust that others who may arrive at a different conclusion are also being faithful to what God has called them to. It'll take a lot of analyzing, a lot of prayer, a lot of just figuring it out. And then when the time comes to just trust that that's just what you have to do. 